Good evening. If you all will turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, and we're going to begin in verse 9. And while you all are turning there, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you guys that uh, for one of my seminary classes, we had to um, prepare a, a whole sermon series and then preach one of them. And so this is my, my sermon, although we are not in a sermon series, um, particularly a sermon series all based on worship because it was a worship class. Um, there are going to be a lot of things in here that are geared towards that. And I think that this passage directly relates to that. So, as um, typical as it is for the worship guy to preach on worship, that is sort of what this sermon is going to be about. But it's going to be based out of Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. Let's read. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will you all pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it instructs us and it teaches us. And God, I pray tonight that you would speak through me, uh, that, uh, that though I am uh, a sinner, though I am uh, not the most elegant of speech, uh, speakers, your word doesn't need to be dressed up. Your word doesn't need to be flashy. Your word speaks for itself and it speaks clearly. God, I pray that we would apply your word to our lives, and we would not leave here the same, but your word would reach deep into our lives and rip out the roots of sin and replace it with the righteousness of Christ through the Spirit living within us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in this fake sermon series, there was four parts to it. There was God, man, Christ response. And so and all that really was was to set up that there is a holy God and a righteous God and that man is sinful when he, is, when he beholds the God of scriptures and that there is a problem, there is a chasm between those two and that Christ comes and by his life and death and resurrection, he has made a way for us to be right with God. And so this is the final part uh, and this is, I've titled it, that the gospel demands a response. So God, man, Christ, and now response. And so as we look at Romans 10, I think we, we ask a question that we hear a lot in our lives and in the lives of people around us and in our coworkers and family, and that's, are we saved? It's a big question, and it's a question I hear all the time. Are we saved? Even amongst believers, am I right before God? Am I truly forgiven? Am I truly saved? And I think we have to ask this question because as believers, as the church, we see all the time, weekly in the news, we see of pastors who have failed and are now falling away from the faith. We know of people in our own lives, and it grieves us. We know of friends and family members who once said that they believed in God, but now they clearly don't, and they proclaim it. 
They don't believe. They've walked away. It's foolishness. And so we're left here, we're left asking the question, are we saved? Are we right before God? Are we truly believers? And so I think in Romans 10, we see two main points that drive us to know if we are truly saved. Excuse me. (coughs) Josh, is this your water? Cool. (laughs) All the singing is taking a toll. Sorry. We see two main points that let us know that, that, that we can see from Romans 10 here, and it's believe and confess. Believe and confess. And so as we look to belief, we see it here in verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. And I'll make a quick point here that Paul is doing something interesting. So Paul starts off by flipping the order of these that we normally think of. We normally think that belief leads to confession, and he flips it here in the first part of this. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, and then the very next verse, he switches them back. For believing, it results in righteousness and with confession results in salvation. And so what he's doing is in the first part of this is he's referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And so he is driving his readers to know that and to, and to remember God's word in Deuteronomy. And then he goes back to, to he, uh, flips it back in verse 10 to what I think we see here is the correct order that belief, true belief, gives a response in confession that Jesus is Lord. And so we're looking at belief. What is belief? What is it? It's such a Christianized term that we hear all the time, and I think we need to bring this down and truly understand it. Believe in what? In the resurrection, as it says in verse 9. Believe in your heart that God raised him, Jesus, from the dead. We believe in the resurrection, even as we sung, that Jesus lives, that he reigns forever. We believe that God raised him up through the Holy Spirit, that he is now alive. The resurrection is the actualization of the gospel. The resurrection points to uh, a fancy seminary term as the efficacy of his death, meaning that the death meant something and that it is done. So we point to the resurrection. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Why? Because it points that his life and death, which is what makes us right before God, so we have to know that as believers, that, that because of Jesus' life, he lived holy. Remember, God is holy. So Jesus lived holy, perfectly, all the way until his death. He died on the cross. And as Roman tells us, he nails the sins, our sins, onto Christ. He dies the death that we deserved. And in doing so, he makes us right with God. This is the fulcrum of of the Christian faith, that he has made us right by his life and death. But Paul here says the resurrection. Why? It's because his resurrection points that his life and death meant something and that it was successful and victorious. It means that the resurrection points that Jesus' death did it. We are saved because of Jesus' life and death. Sin is gone. It is defeated. And we have the righteousness of Christ. Amen? So we believe in the resurrection because it points 
to the efficacy of his death, that it meant something. Calvin, John Calvin says, talking uh, explicitly about why Paul is singling out the resurrection, he says this, Christ, by rising again, completed the whole work of our salvation. For through, uh, for though redemption and satisfaction were effected by his death, so the, though God is now satisfied through the, the death of Jesus, through which we are reconciled to God, yet the victory over sin, death, And Satan was attained by his resurrection. This is why we believe that God raised him from the dead. It is crucial to our faith. It is crucial to knowing that we are saved. It's crucial to knowing that our brothers and sisters are saved. To believe in the resurrection of our Lord. So that's the what. That's the what behind our belief. But now we ask why. Why do we believe? And I think this is important too. It says it in verse 10, one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness. Why do we believe? And what's the fruit of that belief? It results in righteousness. True belief results in life change. That's such a crucial um, aspect of the, uh, to, to our faith and to walking day to day, is that when we behold God, when we behold his life, death, and resurrection, it changes us. When we truly believe it, it changes us and it results in righteousness. And so thinking about uh, true belief, meaning true change, I thought about um, our daughter Eden. We, we just had our first daughter, and now she's almost three months, which is crazy. Um, and it's been such a blessing. But before we had Eden, um, Jessica told me that, that she was pregnant, and we were excited, uh, but, it, but the reality is nothing really changed. There wasn't a whole lot of life change that happened. We still went to work every day and came home and, and did uh, all the same things, and it wasn't until I saw her face, it wasn't until that, that doctor placed her in my wife's arms that the true reality sunk in. When I truly beheld my daughter for the first time, Everything changed, right? Everything changes. I developed the, the, the mother of seatbelt thing, you know. I'm, I'm steering our stroller away. I'm kicking people, you know. People are coughing. I'm, you know, coughing right back on. I'm telling them to go away, you know. I'm trying to protect my daughter. I want to make sure she grows up to be strong. I want to make sure she grows up to be Christ-like, to be like my wife. And everything has changed because I, I've seen, I've beheld, and I believe that my daughter is here and that I love her. True belief results in life change, complete life change. No square inch of your heart should not be transformed by the resurrection of Jesus. We are Easter people, but it doesn't stop with a couple weeks ago. It continues on until we are put in the grave and we are raised to life. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord until the host of heaven celebrate our resurrection before Christ. Kevin Boer says this in, in, in Doxology and Theology. He says, when the gospel sinks deep into our hearts, everything begins to change. Let the gospel affect your hearts. And so it should, and we worship because we believe. This belief is, is the foundation of our worship. And I really don't see much difference 
and as we'll go on to see, between belief and between worship. This is what, it, worship doesn't start and end with me singing, and it doesn't start and end with Sunday mornings, but it starts and ends with what Christ has done in our belief in Jesus. And so we worship because we believe, and Matt Boswell says that theology shapes our doxology, so what we believe shapes how we worship. Christ, Christian worship is built upon, shaped by, and saturated with Scripture. Our doxology, so what we, uh, what we worship, how we worship, is informed by divine revelation. For the worship leader, our beliefs and convictions about God are what serve as the foundation for worship. It's our foundation. Belief is a receptive activity, one commentator says, it is compared to coming and eating and drinking. One eats and drinks to sustain life, and in the same way, those who believe in Jesus do so to live. True belief dominates a person's life and changes dramatically how they relate to God. And so, are you believing in Jesus to live? Are you, as this commentator says, feasting on Jesus in such a way that you're feasting on the word. You need it to live and to thrive and to survive. And so what does this look like? What is the point? We have, to, we have to bring this down. What is the point of talking about belief? It's because I know that as believers, that everyone is dealing in some way with doubt. We doubt the goodness of God sometimes. We doubt his grace and his provision Sometimes, because of the sin in our life, we doubt that we are truly saved in Christ. And so why am I emphasizing belief so much? It's because one day you will stand and be unsure, you will be on shaky ground, but there is a foundation that is greater than what you see around you, and it's God's word. It is the resurrection of Jesus. That is what we stand on. That is what we believe when it is darkest. That is what we hold on to when we're falling. And so uh, my parents are in the room, and that's, uh, I'm glad to have them here. And one of the biggest testimonies to faith I've ever seen is you all know and you've prayed often for my dad. And it's, it's so hard to watch this happen, but I'm blown away time and time again that when things get worse, their belief grows stronger. Their belief grows stronger. And we went, and uh, in the middle of the conference that the staff went to this last two weeks ago now, um, we went to the hospital. I, I left. I had Jessica come pick me up, and we went to the hospital, and my dad had been in the hospital. And, and so we, brought, we were there with Eden, and my mom was holding Eden, and Eden was snuggling on my mom, and it was a sweet moment. And I'll never forget that my mom was just thinking, reflecting on that, and she said, that um, although all this stuff is happening, and sometimes I, I, I wonder, I know that one day Joe, my dad, will be before Christ and he will throw his loving arms around him and he will be healed and we will worship. And so do you have the belief that holds you sound do you have the belief that is the ballast of the ship when everything is rocking and turning and you are crashing and your life is falling apart? Do you believe? 
not just a Christian statement of belief. Do you believe in the resurrection that it is done? He has one salvation for you. Believe. Secondly, we see confess. And I don't, before we read here, I don't mean, uh, I think we have a wrong view of, of confess. We think of the Catholic version of confess, that you sit in a box with a priest and you confess your sins and you get a penance with rosary to Mary to Jesus. That's not what I mean. Although I will say that confession of sins is a crucial part of the Christian life. But what I mean is confess, that we are confessional church. We confess what we believe. So we talked about belief, and now we proclaim it. We confess it before all, before ourselves. And so what do we confess? Look at verse 9 right away. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Uh, One professor at our school says this. He says, the church is confessional or or united both by personal confession of faith in Christ and a common confession of the historic Christian faith. So we confess our faith in Christ. And we also confess it with our church. We confess what we believe. That's why we have uh, doctrines of belief here. It's because we want to be unified in what we believe. That God is holy. He's righteous. Man's sinful. We are separated uh, greatly from God. And there's no way that we can make up that gap except for Christ. That's what we confess. And this is a pivotal thing, and I don't want us to skip past this, because in confession, in in confessing that Jesus is Lord, what's happening is that there's a denouncement. There's a denouncement of our lordship over our life. And ever since the Garden of Eden, humanity has never ceased to think that he is the king of his own life, that he can determine his own course, and that he is in control. He is the Lord of his life. And so in confession that Jesus is Lord, we are denouncing that. We're denouncing our lordship. And this is a big deal. This is an association with the cross. And I'll say this, it's not an alliance. Our confession that Jesus is Lord is not a hand-in-hand with Christ walking into eternity. Our rule with his rule. That's not what this is. A confession that Jesus is Lord is a falling on your knees, falling before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who has died and conquered death. It's falling before him and saying, God, my rule over my life, my kingship is garbage, and I lay it before you, a sinner, and I need your lordship over my life. That's the kind of association with the cross. That's the kind of submission to God that we have to be as believers. That is what confessing Jesus as Lord is about. Why? Why do we need this? Verse 10 says, for salvation. And this seems weighty and this seems like a big deal, but he says it right here that confession that Jesus is Lord is necessary. It's necessary for salvation, that we confess Christ is Lord. And I think that comes from out of the mouth, or our mouth speaks out of an overflow of our heart. And so when we truly believe, the belief that sinks deep into our bones, it reflects in a confession that Christ is Lord. He is the king. Dr. Scharner says in his commentary, belief with the heart precedes confession with the mouth, demonstrating that a genuine confession is rooted in a heart conviction. 
A genuine confession is rooted in a heart conviction. And so one great example of this is we see Stephen uh, in, in the book of Acts. So they, he preaches a sermon and he preaches God's word and it, it, it convicted the people in such a way that they stone him. And so he is confessing before hostile ears the truth that Jesus is Lord, the truth that he is risen again and reigns forever, knowing that they are going to do this, knowing that they are angry, that they are not going to receive this well, but he is faithful and he can only confess what he believes and that Christ is Lord and it cost him his life. And I say this because I think in our society, I think confession is a big deal, but I think it's become less of a big deal for the Christian community and it's become more of a big deal for the homosexual community. I see this being celebrated in our society that we can come out of the closet and profess what, what we love and who we love and we can redefine these things and we as a culture celebrate and we applaud that. And I see the, our Christian brothers and sisters and I see myself shrinking away, shrinking away from confessing what we believe. Would that not be the case of our church here? Would we confess in truth and in love that Jesus is Lord? And so let's bring this down a little farther. Are you confessing to your children? Are you reading to them, professing that Jesus is Lord and, and what that looks like in their life? True obedience, true, uh, true walking in faith and, and repentance. Are you confessing to your wife, husbands? Are you confessing to your husband's wives? It's a big deal, and, and Paul makes it a big deal in Ephesians too. Are you confessing to your wife? Are you confessing when it will cost you? When you're at your, your workplace, when you're at home, when you're with relatives, when you're out and you see injustice happen, and you know that profession of what you believe will cost you. I'm reminded of, of, of lyrics of a song that um, the cost of my confession is never greater than the cost that you bought me with. When you think of what Christ has done, laying down his life that we might believe, and now we believe, and we're going to shrink away? No. Belief demands that we profess that Jesus is risen, that he is king, that he is the Lord of our life. Worship is confessional. Worship is confessional. The song that we sung, uh, is, is, that was all that that was. We believe in God our Father. We believe in Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. It is professing truth. And, and there's something that's at stake here. When we come up here and we sing, and we sing songs that are incorrectly singing about God, we're informing our believers, we're informing our children, but we're also informing the people sitting out there that, that okay, that, that must be how God is. If we never talk about the truth as revealed in God's word, if we never sing about that truth, then we start to not believe that truth unless we are in God's word. And so, all, all of our worship is, is confessional to some degree. And so would our songs be rich with theology? Would it be rich with the word of God? Would it be saturated through and through from beginning to end, from 1045 until 1215 or 1230 or 1245, whenever Josh wraps up and, uh, and we go home? <laughs> I'm, I'm just joking. <laughs> 
No, but from beginning to end, would our services be saturated, drenched with the word of God? And so it's teaching. That's what, that's what we've been describing here, is that our worship teaches us about God. It also builds us and keeps us. It builds up the body. We proclaim scripture, we proclaim the scriptural truths we've previously heard and already know why. Because we forget. We lose track of who God is and what he has done. That's what one commentator says. It builds us up and encourages us. We are commanded by scripture to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs for the edification of the body. It holds us. It reminds us of what we believe even when we don't believe it sometimes. When we are rocky and we are shaky. So it teaches, it builds, it also witnesses. And I want to read this quote to you. It's a little long, but, but, but hear this. It says, when we sing, we witness to the people in our church who, aren't yet, who are yet to believe, to the unsaved spouse, the cynical teen, the intrigued friend. We witness to the outsider stepping through the door of the church and even through the sound we make to the outsider walking past the door of the church. The sight and sound of a congregation singing praise to God together is a radical witness in a culture that rejects God and embraces individualism. Our songs, listen to what he says here, our songs are the public manifesto of what we believe. And so as, as we wrap up, let's think about that. Do we, do we realize that the songs we sing have a big impact on the heart's of us here at the church and the congregation. And I hope you're asking me that because I'm the one that's choosing these songs. Do I know that the songs that I'm choosing are shaping how you view God? It's a serious calling. This is not something, I'm not throwing darts at a, a wall of songs in my house and picking the songs. No, I'm reading the scripture and as I'm reading what we're going to read through, as I'm reading our call to worship, I'm picking songs that reflect God's word, that proclaim it. And so are you worshiping before your family? Are you worshiping in your life? Worship doesn't, like we said, it doesn't begin and end in here, but it begins at salvation. Our worship begins at salvation. Do you know that, brothers and sisters, that ever since you put your belief in God and you responded in belief and confession that you have been worshiping God or you should be worshiping God ceaselessly in your life through righteousness, as this passage says, through walking through doubt, through walking through suffering, through walking through victories, you are worshiping. Make sure that you are worshiping the living, risen God, Jesus Christ. Our worship is confessional. And so how are we to respond to God? How do we know that we are saved? How do we know that we're right before him? How do I know that I'm justified in God's sight? I think Romans 9 tells us that belief and confession. It goes on to say, <clears throat> for the scripture says everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. And the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so if your life is not marked by belief and confession, our prescription is the same. Behold your God. 
Behold your holy, righteous, set-apart, transcendent, great, unmatchable, unfathomable, unchanging God. Behold him. Behold him as revealed from cover to cover in your Bible, the Holy One. Behold the depths of your sin. Behold the blackness of my own heart. And behold the cross on which Jesus, which God and man was crucified to, that you might be right before him. And behold the empty grave where he no longer lays because he has risen to life, sealing your salvation. If your life is not marked by belief and confession, what we do to fix that, what we do to center ourselves on Christ is to behold him, to behold him and worship him in belief and confession. And so I, I want us, I want myself to continually be reminded of that, that our worship is not the songs that we sing, it is not the, even the communion we take, but our worship is a response to who God is and what he has done in belief and confession. Are you worshiping your God? Are you worshiping your Savior? Let's pray. God, I ask that you would be merciful to us, you would be merciful to me. So often we have uh, chosen to respond to the things around us in our life. We, we've chosen to make ourselves king. But God, your word is clear that, that we respond in belief, belief in the resurrection of our Lord, that, he, that Jesus has died in our place as the righteous lamb, the sacrificial lamb, that he has risen to life and God, we confess out of that belief that he is now Lord, that he will reign forever. God, I pray that that belief and that confession in the gospel, that it would radically change our hearts daily, that we would drag sin before you and crucify it, for you have called us to be holy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.